0: Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com businessgoldcard.
1: It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts.
2: This is Bloomberg Business of Sports. talk about some of the more interesting aspects of business of sports. There's all kinds of cool questions, so this is
3: a fun topic for me. The country is finally getting the memo about how amazing this sport is. I think the sky's the limit for MLS.
0: We're spending more and more of our time in a digital world, and it's also becoming a really powerful place for commerce. It is so nice to be
4: back and to be able to have fans back in the building. So despite the chaotic schedule, this is why we do what
5: we do. When you get into the playoffs, so there's nothing better as a player than excitement. And it's also for
2: the organization and sponsors involved. Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports show where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. I'm Michael Barnes.
6: I'm Scarlett Fu.
2: And I'm Mike Lynch. Coming up today. Oh, lordy, I'm feeling football-y. That's right. We're getting ready for Super Bowl 56. We have a special guest joining us today, Jason Gannon, Managing Director of SoFi Stadium. He'll break down the business of hosting that big game straight ahead on the Bloomberg Business of Sports Show. But first, let's look at some of the top stories of the week, beginning with the Super Bowl. And oh my, there's going to be a lot of gambling in there. (laughs) Almost 10% of Americans may put their money where their loyalties lie during this year's Super Bowl. According to a gambling industry trade group, an estimated 31.5 million Americans will place more than $7.6 billion in bets on pro football's championship games. Scar.
6: And even if they aren't loyal to either of the teams, they might still put a wager on as well. Isn't that part of the explanation for why Every single NFL game is so high stakes because it makes it more interesting that you can bet on all these different random things that have nothing to do with whether you like the team or not.
5: Prop bets. And some of those start right out of the shoot. The opening coin toss. Will it be heads? Will it be tails? Will the Rams win the toss or will the Rams lose the toss? Uh, will, uh, will the opening kickoff make it into the end zone? You can bet on that. <laughs> so there's everything. <laughs> will, 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 will either team use all their timeouts? I mean, it, it's, it just keeps the interest going. And, of course, legalized gambling has just been the, the, the fuel for this. Yeah. 30 states, by kickoff, 30 states plus the District of Columbia will have legalized gambling when this thing is kicked off Sunday night at 6.30 Eastern time. But, and you know, in
6: California, uh, Lynchy, I was just reading, online sports betting has yet to be legalized. So if you're watching the sweet. game at SoFi Park, you can't be betting on your phone.
5: No, you got to call Vinny up on the phone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Vinny
2: is still in business, man, in Los Angeles. It it, it is amazing though how much money changes hands. And, and I mean, and then the office pools. I mean, you have the office squares the and boxes. Yeah, you don't have to know yeah. diddly-boo about football. Yeah. Just write your name in a box and there you are and there it is. I felt bad because some of the colleagues here at Bloomberg, they said, "Bar, are you doing the, the the squares this year?" And I said, I just don't have the time. I, I wish I could. And they all have this disappointed look on their faces, like, you're yeah. useless, bar useless. But Apparently,
6: you're a reliable square buyer.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah, OK, we'll go with reliable. <laughs> you know, but
6: another thing I was thinking of is the stock market has been pretty wobbly this year. So I mm-hmm. wonder if that'll add fuel to Super Bowl wagers or gambling in general. You had the Nasdaq fall as much as 15% at one point. It's recouped some of that. And I only bring this up because the retail investor-led stampede into the stock market um, in 2020 and 2021, of course, kept by that meme stock craze last January, was in large part driven by the fact that there wasn't a lot of live sports to watch. There wasn't anything to really gamble on. People had money, but they didn't really have anywhere to spend it. So now that the stock market's not doing so well, are they going to come back and plow it all into prop bets?
5: It's easy to understand. And as you say, it's basically just a, a game of chance. Uh, I mean, the coin toss. Right there. Yeah, no I mean, skill there. Need, no skill. Will the opening kickoff make it into the end zone? You know, it's it's a coin toss to me. Um, will the team use all their timeouts? I, I'd probably say yes, but I don't know. So... It, there is something for everyone there. You don't have to know whose team has a greater pass rush or how many yards per catch uh, each wide receiver has and factor all those analytics in. You throw that out the window. I mean, the percentage increase is astronomical this year. Barr pointed out that $7.6 billion will be bet. That's up 78% over one year ago. And that million Americans are going to bet on the game, that's up 35% from a year ago. And you can attribute it to one thing, legalized sports gambling. Either the brick-and-mortar places in these 30 states in D.C. now where you can walk in and walk out with a ticket, like a lottery ticket, put it in your pocket, or on your app if you live in one of those states where mm-hmm. it's legal.
6: And even if you're not gambling during the big game... In between each play, when all the commercials, the expensive commercials run, I'm sure you'll be reminded of it constantly, right?
2: I remember back in the day, you had to wait until the Super Bowl to see the ad, and now Mm -hmm. I don't like it when they sneak peek the ad because then you kind of ruin the effect. I want to, I want to be surprised. You know, all of a sudden when I see the frogs going Budweiser, I want to, I want to see all that. It's, it was fun back then. But, you know, teaser
6: ads and this whole narrative that they've built up Well, Madison Avenue had to, like, come up with something to keep people engaged and get people, you know, ramped up. It's their version of the um, the NFL anthem before before the big game.
2: By the way, you know, the biggest prop bet, guys, and it's (laughs) I'm amazed. We're going to see how long the national anthem is going to be. That's
6: the biggest prop bet. Oh,
2: (laughs) yes. Yeah.
6: Who's singing the national anthem, by the way? Do we know?
2: That's a good point I forgot. But yeah, it's it's you know, it, it it really is a lot of money that is changing hands and never mind the betting, just the parties that people are going to go to. Stay safe by the way, folks. You know, I know you guys are going to probably go out there and sneak out and go to a party somewhere. But uh the the chicken wings and and all the food and everything mm-hmm. um it's out there. The yeah.
6: and salsa. It's Mickey Guyton, by the way, who's singing yes. the Mickey national Guyton. anthem.
5: Yeah. So, time- by the way, it's, it's, every anthem singer is not it, the word Grammy and, and any <laughs> anthem singer is always associated. Please welcome nine-time nominee for Grammy awards, Miss Scarlett Foo. Uh, <laughs> uh, now,
2: officially, for the song to end, because we ran into this one time yeah. when uh, I think it was Gladys Knight. It was she when she says and the home of the brave, the end of the first brave, that's it. That's, that's supposed to be the end of the anthem. But I think she added another brave in there and, and and the people were going wild on that. That screws
6: things up. Some houses
2: were paying, no, we're doing it on the first brave that ended. So (laughs) keep your eye on that. Uh, (laughs) See, that's what happens when you are We may have to go hand to hand replay it. on the you can tell me <laughs> we, have, we have to go to a replay on the anthem. <laughs> <laughs> They're
6: gonna have to call back to New York to make a determination. <laughs> Put the headset on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did she say it
2: yet? What happened? Um Byron Allen, speaking of football, uh you remember him. He's the uh media mogul. Uh he is preparing a bid for the NFL's Denver Broncos car.
6: Yeah. And if he wins, he would become the first black majority owner of an NFL club at a time when the NFL is being rocked by accusations, allegations that it is their systemic racism following Brian Flores' lawsuit. Uh, one thing I found interesting was that Byron Allen says Roger Goodell, the NFL commissioner, and Robert Kraft of Lynch's New England Patriots uh, approached him in November of 2019 uh, back then to ask him to consider buying an NFL club. So this is something he's been talking about, thinking about, and I guess, conversing with people about for a while.
5: Well, the timing is perfect. The time is ripe right now. I mean, the two head coaches most recently hired uh, are people, uh, coaches of color. And Mm -hmm. now, uh, if Allen were to secure the the Denver Broncos, doesn't solve the problem but it certainly is a step in the right direction
6: yeah he needs to find a group of investors maybe he has the money on his own I don't know but we know that the Broncos will go for somewhere in the neighborhood of what four billion dollars plus Lynchy.
5: yeah it's a very very lucrative franchise out there and uh, uh, there, there are going to be a lot of people that are going to want to jump on board here. But this this is not going to be a one-person purchase. So this is going to have to be, uh, $4 billion is a lot of dineros.
2: Man, you talk about a profit. I mean, when the when the previous owners bought the team, I think they paid, what, $28 and some SH green stamps, <laughs> and now they're going to get about $4 billion. It, it would be the highest valuation of any pro team sold, I believe, if they hit yeah. that $4 billion figure. That's going
0: to be amazing.
1: I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts.
2: This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports show where we explore the big, I'm talking big money issues in the world of sports. I'm Michael Barr.
6: There's a lot of money at stake this week. I'm Scarlett Foo.
2: <laughs> and I'm Mike Lynch. Coming up today, we speak with Jason Gannon, he's the managing director of SoFi Stadium, the host of Super Bowl 56. But first, let's start with former Miami Dolphins head coach Brian Flores. He has filed a lawsuit accusing the league and teams of violating civil rights laws alleging discrimination in the hiring process. And for more, let's bring in our sports law expert, Marty Edel. He's with Goulston and Stores Sports Law Practice. He's the co-chair and a law professor at Columbia Marty, welcome to the show.
4: Michael, it's so nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Mike, nice to speak with you. And Scarlett, it's a pleasure to meet you.
2: Uh, This has totally rocked the league. Your thoughts, first of all, on the impact of this lawsuit and what it means for the game.
4: Let me start off by what the naked allegations are. uh, What Brian Flores has claimed was systemic racism in the hiring and maintenance of head coaches in the NFL. Um, this is huge. Whether the lawsuit itself has any, gains any traction is another question, which we can get to if you'd like later. But right now, the public relations fallout has to be overwhelmingly against uh, the NFL,
6: that being the case, there are a couple of charges he makes in his suit. Um, He talks about how he was ordered to tank games so that the Dolphins could get a higher draft pick. Uh, He was kind of ordered by the owner. Um, He also alleges, and this is the more blockbuster charge, I guess, is that he was only interviewed by certain NFL clubs so that they could check the box under the Rooney rule. And that he was not really a serious candidate for the head coach job, as revealed by texts from Bill Belichick, uh, the head coach of the New England Patriots. Which charge is harder to prove in a court of law? So
4: let me take it in two bites, if I may, Scarlett. First of all, the the claim um, that Mr. Flores has made about tanking games is really difficult to understand why that would be in a discrimination lawsuit. Um, and it's problematic of his entire complaint that he throws a lot of claims in there and they may have legs to them. Uh, But he throws a lot of claims which really have no basis in a discrimination claim, but cast the NFL in a poor light. So if you go to then the second point that you mentioned, which is sham interviews, I think that's what Mr. Flores refers to them in his complaint, That could be more significant um, because you have the Rooney Rule. It was a rule that was adopted in 2003 and amended two years ago, which requires NFL teams to interview a minimum of two minority candidates for a head coaching position. If If it is the truth, as Mr. Flores claims, which he'll have, he may have the chance to take discovery on if his case survives. It'll be interesting to see whether this was just a series of sham interviews and a number of owners did not have any interest in hiring a minority candidate or if he just didn't stack up with some of the other candidates.
5: Uh, Hi, Marty. Again, this is Mike Lynch up in in Boston. So you use the word traction. How does this lawsuit get traction?
4: All right, so... A great question. So what Mr. Flores has done is he's filed a claim, which is called a class action. And into it, he's thrown a whole bunch of allegations. You're going to see a concerted effort. Once we get beyond the public relations uh, part, you're going to see a concerted effort by the defendants first to say that this does not this is not an appropriate claim for a class action. That's going to delay resolution for an amount of time, six months, a year, maybe a year and a half, while the defendants are able to take what's called class discovery, which does not go to the merits. So the case will be in this legal limbo for that time. If it is determined that uh, Brian Flores has a viable class action, then in all likelihood the defendants will move to dismiss the claims, Uh, under the applicable law, again, delaying resolution on the merits or even taking discovery on the merits for the period of time that the motion to dismiss needs to get decided, probably another six months or so. So as you can tell, we're talking about an extended period of time before Mr. Flores' lawsuit can really see the light of day in terms of whether he's able to take what we call merits discovery or discovery on the merits. And that's only assuming he survives those two motions that I just mentioned. So that's what I meant by traction. If he gets to the point where he can uh, take merits discovery, then there's going to be questions about what information is confidential and can't be disclosed to, of all folks, the media um, or the consuming public and what is their game for disclosure. Probably another set of uh, motions and delays uh, before you get to the point at which the parties can get evidence to prove their claims.
6: From where you sit, having practiced law and, and covered the sports industry at large, sports law over, overall, not limited to the NFL, what is specific about the culture of the NFL? That has led to this, that hasn't led to a similar problem in the MLB and NBA. I have
4: pondered over that for literally decades now without coming to a hard and fast conclusion. I'd like to think it is not systemic racism in the NFL. I think the NFL itself as an an entity um, has tried to pave the way for opportunities for people of color, For people who are not of color but it hasn't worked i'm not sure why once upon a time i would have said that it's because the nfl has a group of owners which aren't as varied as some of the ownership interests elsewhere they had fewer corporations and more individuals in ownership positions than some of the other leagues but that really isn't the case anymore and there certainly are very qualified people of color who could be, who should be head coaches.
2: Marty Edel with Goulston and Stores Sports Law Practice Co-Chair and Columbia Law Professor. You are the man and you are always our sports law expert. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure.
6: This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports show where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. I'm Scarlett Fu here with Mike Lynch and Michael Barr stepping aside for this next conversation, but he will be back later on in the show. Today, we are speaking with Jason Gannon. He is managing director of One SoFi Stadium and Hollywood Park, which, of course, you know, is the host venue for Super Bowl 56. Jason, thank you so much for joining us. I know this has been a super busy couple of weeks for you. Taking a step back for a moment, taking a deep breath. What would you say has been the biggest logistical hurdle that you've had to overcome preparing for the big game?
3: you know, this is not an event that is, has been planned over the last week or two. I mean, this is something that's been uh, in the making for several years now, uh, certainly from a, um, a security side and, and thinking through with uh, the various uh, agencies that are involved, local and uh, state and federal law enforcement officials, um, in order to make sure that, uh, that we're putting on a, you know, a safe and secure event. And then certainly on the COVID side, um, something that we've, we've been working through kind of over the last year or so, year plus or so, in terms of having bands in the building. Um, but equally as important, I think, you know, one of the things that um, our building, we've, we, we do have two NFL teams. Uh, so we were, uh, had an opportunity over 20, 20 NFL games this year um, to go through the process, both on the security side, but certainly on the COVID protocol side. Um, so from an operations perspective, we had, you know, plenty of opportunity. Uh, to gear up for, uh, uh, for for the big game next
5: Sunday. Hey, Jason, it's Mike up in Boston. Uh, I know you work very closely with the National Football League. They come in, you work uh, hand in hand as partners. Their work, I'm sure, started more than a year ago, right?
3: That's right. You know the the NFL. I mean, listen this is this is one of the largest events in the world, and uh, and they do it every year. And so uh, they have a great advanced teams. I mean, the collaboration. Uh, It really starts years in advance immediately after the Super Bowl is awarded and and thinking through, you know, how you can make a Super Bowl special uh, for the city or the venue. Um, And so we've been working on this one with Los Angeles, uh, for Los Angeles, with the NFL for for several years now.
6: I'm curious, though, given that uh, the Rams are going to play in the Super Bowl. Yay. Exciting. um, What would have been the ideal matchup? That would have yielded the most dollars spent on neighboring businesses because the Rams are in the Super Bowl. You don't have people traveling across the country, staying in hotels, uh, eating out. Uh, perhaps locals will be just driving in for the big game itself. What would have been the the best matchup?
3: Yeah, well, I mean, listen, I, I think um, it's actually interesting because I think there's a there's a there's actually a balance there. I mean, tax base it can come from a lot of different sources and. You know, I, you have to remember that the Super Bowl is really a global event. People, you know, have planned to come here for weeks and months, and, and candidly, years, without regard to to, to what the matchup actually is. Um, so I think from a from a, a travel and and hotel, there's still you know, regardless of having a local team, there'll still be a you know a healthy demand for uh, for those types of uh, of inventory. But I think what you'll also have here is a local fan base um, that's energized. I mean, there's a, a ton of of events throughout, Super Bowl-related events throughout Los Angeles uh, over over the next week and a half, um, that, that there will be more people that aren't necessarily here for the game but live here that would have access to to go and spend money and, and get out in the community. So I think although there, there is that dynamic with having a home team playing, I think there's also a lot of opportunity to make up with that in, in, in other areas as well.
5: Jason, how do you placate the season ticket holders? All your season ticket holders, obviously, are not going to be able to get their hands on Super Bowl tickets. How do you do? You have a lottery? Do you? Uh, how do you placate them?
3: You know, I, and listen. I mean, each I, each team. I mean, from from the venue perspective, um, you know, we're we're focused on on delivering the Super Bowl and a great experience. Teams that that are a part of that, they have their own allocations, and, and they work through that in, in unique ways.
6: What about the challenges of hiring and retaining staff for the facility, especially in recent months? You knew that you are going to be hosting this big game. Uh, this requires a lot of people on the ground. And we know that there is this labor mismatch right now where there are a lot of jobs available. There are people who are looking for jobs, but it's difficult to fill the positions that are open.
3: You know, I mean, we have, uh, you know, again, having two NFL football teams, um, you know, we've had over a million people in our building in a few short months, say about six months or so since we've been able to have fans. Um, and, you know, we have a in, in the foreseeable future, we have a, you know, a strong list of events really to, um, you know, to keep the workforce active here. At SoFi Stadium at Hollywood Park, I think you know one of the things for an event like the Super Bowl is from a from a workforce perspective, it's, it is truly a, a regional draw. Um, so, so pulling on resources um, throughout all of Southern California, and you know, working with vendors who who have those resources to make sure and those networks to make sure that, that we're fully staffed, and and that's obviously it, it's it's an important part, and it, and it involves uh, a lot of uh, advancement uh, uh, planning.
6: So part of it is if you tell enough people this is for the Super Bowl, they want to, they wanted to do the job because it's a once in a lifetime opportunity.
3: Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I, I would be lying if I said it it, it wouldn't be uh, uh, the, an element of attraction there to get in the building, uh, <laughs> but also that you know to be a part of uh, you know delivering something that's so unique and being a part of of creating a memorable experience for so many people and uh, in, a, in an event like the Super Bowl.
5: Jason, this is sort of unique. You were scheduled to have the Super Bowl last year, and this was Tampa Bay was supposed to have it this year. And you flip-flop. Tampa Bay won. They had a home game. Now the Rams get a home game. Did that extra year help you a little bit in terms of logistics and preparation?
3: Yeah, I mean, listen, I mean, like, I, I think uh, having an extra year certainly, you know, helps. Um, you know, I think getting, obviously, going through the, the, the challenges with COVID and, you know, the, the dynamic. Um, you know, being able to kind of come out of that in regard to, to getting full capacity that's obviously very important. And um and then, you know, I think listen, I mean, uh I, I guess that the, the probably for, for both teams having having that year probably worked out uh worked out good in terms of being able to have that that home field work out the way it did.
6: Yeah, but at the same time, um, I remember Lynchy Barr and I talked about how back in January, NFL officials were exploring backup plans to perhaps change the Super Bowl venue to Texas in case um, COVID was still raging and California began imposing COVID restrictions. Uh, To what extent were you privy to any of those conversations at all? Or was the matter entirely out of your hands?
3: You know, I mean, listen, the NFL goes through those sorts of contingency plans. Every week, candidly, in the NFL, and so um, you know, it was something that we just we, we you know we were always uh, obviously communicating with with the NFL in terms of what's going on here, and and um, and they certainly have direct lines of communications with all the um, you know the proper local officials uh, to continue to have those discussions. And uh, but in terms of the contingency plans themselves, nothing out of the ordinary for for any event that the NFL would put on.
5: Jason, one of the biggest challenges of hosting a Super Bowl is the halftime entertainment. <laughs> um, especially in urban cities, I, I could say they, they would take city blocks and just put all kinds of staging for that has to be run in and out of the stadium in a certain amount of time. Uh, you've got the space there, obviously. Um, how many rehearsals do, do you have to go through to, get this, to, to make sure they get all the staging, all the lighting, all the pyrotechnics, everything in and everything out and on time for a timely kickoff in the second half?
3: You know that is uh, again. This is something they do every year. Um, that's the, the kind of the the, the thing about uh, Super Bowl halftime shows. A tremendous, uh, I mean, just a tremendous group group of professionals. Um, the it's you know fitting to your to your point. The the pieces to the puzzle of of what goes where in such a, a condensed uh, you know uh, amount of time, uh, and then the, and then to the take it all apart and, and get back. I mean, it's it's certainly many rehearsals. Not only with the talent itself, but uh, the stage crew and, and everybody goes to support the, uh, uh, the 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 halftime show.
6: I'm curious to hear what community engagement has been like from from where you sit since the Rams and Chargers have both been in LA. Because for a couple of years, LA didn't have a local football team, and a lot of Southern Californians adopted the 49ers um, as as their game. Yep. Has it been hard to build a local fan base so far, given the Rams still have that connection to St. Louis, and the Chargers were originally from San Diego?
3: Yeah, I mean, listen, I you know, I think both teams have um, you know had success in, in, in different areas, and some areas that overlap. I think anytime you have a market like Los Angeles without an NFL team for so long, it's you know naturally there are um, you know naturally there are, are other um, interests that can. That can uh, that can come about but I think like both teams have done a tremendous job of, of engaging the community from a fan perspective and uh, and building brand I mean it's so much of uh, building a brand is is creating memories and you got to get in the building you got to have games you got to have home games here in Los Angeles to continue to expand that fan base and you know with, with the Rams and the Chargers both two really exciting football teams, you know, the Rams on their playoff front and now into the Super Bowl, but also on the, on the Chargers side, you have an exciting young quarterback, an exciting young offense, and and the future looks very bright as well. And and, and getting people here to SoFi Stadium, getting them to, to have those experiences, uh, and certainly at a younger age, will uh, will help.
5: Jason, I was, I've always been curious since the first game I watched at the stadium. Southern California, you know the old song, it never rains in California, <laughs> and I was always wondering why it wasn't an open air stadium or at the, at at least a retractable stadium. How did you come to the conclusion that it should be uh, an enclosed uh, stadium?
3: Yeah. So, so the, you, you kind of start from a design perspective. You look at where the stadium's located, both at a a high level, right? Southern California regionally, what's the climate? Um, And then at a local level, right? What's the parcel of land that it's, that it's lying upon. And, and I think at a, at, a, at a high level, at a macro level, you look at Southern California and um, the, the indoor outdoor lifestyle that's so prevalent here, the weather 365 uh, throughout the year and, and that indoor outdoor living, you know, the SoFi Stadium actually, while it has a roof canopy, it's, it's actually considered an, an, an open air stadium because the sides are actually open air. And so it actually allows for the coastal breezes to come in. Inglewood, where SoFi Stadium is located, is actually located in a in a microclimate, um, the coastal microclimate that allows for the ocean breezes to come in. And it was really important for us um, to really embrace that indoor-outdoor lifestyle in Los Angeles through the roof design. Um, it was important, but, you know, the roof itself, um, it, it really for us, there's the architectural presence that, that, it, uh, that it has from an iconic perspective, the venue from an architecture, uh, the long-spanning roof and the curvature of the roof, um, just from a uh, just from a placemaking and uh, a landmark was important for us, but also the climate certainty. Um, you want to be able to use this venue, 365, but also go out and talk about the venue to prospective mm. events with climate certainty, and so and all over the world. I mean, you see, like Los Angeles is attracting events from all of the world, and know that in five years, six years, seven years from now, there's no question that the weather will be. Yeah, you know, what, you know whether it will be sunny on a certain day. So the climate certainty was also was really important in our decision to put a canopy on.
5: So if I can just follow that up, does that mean uh, what's on the horizon? Like maybe a Final Four, which would obviously have to be in a closed <laughs> facility. And what else is on the is on the calendar?
3: Yeah, no. So you know, obviously having two two NFL teams takes up a lot of the fall. Uh, we have the the National College Football or the College Football National Championship game next year. Uh, after that, we have WrestleMania. Uh, uh, which is a, an incredible event. Uh, we're working on, uh, you know, love to have more Super Bowls. They're working on the World Cup as well in 2026 and the Olympics in 2028, the opening and closing ceremonies.
6: What will you be doing on the big day? Can you just walk us through? I mean, how much of the game <laughs> will you actually be able to take a peek at?
3: You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's really any game day. It's, it's, it's tough to, to watch a player to take time out. I mean, you know, obviously you... you you want to make sure that people are able to be to get into the building and uh, and have a good time. Uh, so just supporting our our staff and making sure that they have the right resources to to, to get people in the building in, in a safe and efficient manner, and and then making sure people are enjoying their, themselves. I mean, it's kind of hosting entertainment. It's like you're having somebody in your house. You want mm-hmm. to make sure that they're having a good time and going around engaging the fans and the partners, and and uh, and making sure that they they have a good time.
6: Bloomberg had a fantastic story about the Super Bowl ads that are coming out. And of course, a lot of the companies, um, the advertisers have already put out teaser ads. And the theme apparently for this year is that people are feeling better. They want to get out. They want to return to normal, relax a little bit after last year, which was very much, um, you know, stay safe. Uh, We're with you. We feel you. The Super Bowl really does reflect trends in the country. And if you want to know how America's feeling, you you look at the Super Bowl. So I'm curious from where you sit, how do you think the mood of the country has changed from the start of the NFL season to now, when we're about to host the Super Bowl?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think it continues to be a crescendo of, of you know, trying to get back to normal, you know, and um, I you there's just been a tremendous level of, of excitement here, uh, buzz, right, that, that need for these shared experiences to, to get out, to, to see the live entertainment. Um, and then certainly uh, everything that the Super Bowl stands for in that regard. And I, I know certainly here in Los Angeles, there's a, there's a big buzz, but also, um, you know, those coming in from, from elsewhere throughout the country around the world um, really, you know, kind of the, the thought to, to, to get back to normal. And uh, we're seeing a lot of that in a lot of the conversations uh, that we're having with our partners.
5: Uh, this has to be just, just the icing on the cake. I mean, the Rams win the NFC Championship. They're in the Super Bowl. Mr. Kroenke, uh you know, put the, you guys put this stadium together. Uh, it, it, it's hard to believe it's happened so swiftly since this the plans rolled out for SoFi Stadium.
3: You know, who it would have thought that, you know, not even sure you could script it, you know, as, as special as it has been. And, you know, it's, you know the thing, I mean, Stan Kroenke and, and his commitment to Los Angeles, I mean, this is... Um, you know, the Super Bowl hasn't been here in, uh, you know, nearly 30 years, and it's, it's an event that wouldn't be coming back to Los Angeles, you know, but for his commitment um, to deliver SoFi Stadium. And, and you look at what that means, both in terms of this event, you know, estimates of uh, upwards of almost $500 million with impact to the region, um, of which over $50 million here in the Inglewood community. And, and those are the types of impacts that, you know, that our organization and, and, and Stan Kroenke, uh, uh continues to deliver on.
6: And of course, you had mentioned earlier the 2020 Olympic Games. Uh, you'll be playing a role there. I'm, I'm wondering, given the 2022 Olympics are taking place right now, how much of that do you look at to see, um, to, to get ideas for what you will be asked to do in 2028?
3: Yeah, no, I mean, listen, uh, it, like everything, you know, in, in live events, it's continuing to, to get better and improve. I mean, whether it's uh, the Olympic Games this year or in Paris and uh, just continuing to to build and uh, to build on on what uh, what uh, those that came before you, and that's been really important for us. Is we're working in partnership with with the Olympics on on thinking about doing things that are special and unique to Los Angeles, and uh, and to continue to build upon uh, what's been done in the past.
6: Jason, okay. really appreciate it. Thank you for taking time out of your your busy week.
3: Thanks, guys. Good to catch up.
0: Take your business further with a smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash
1: card. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank, member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts.
4: My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since
5: the oh, kids. It feels better to be number one than number five. I'll wear the number because of Mike.
2: We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports, the number of the week. Here it is. Yeah. It's time. <laughs> you hear the hands of Scarlett I'm doing the Mr. Miyagi Rubbing clap. her hands. She's on a roll, folks. Poor Lynchy. He he, he, yeah, he, he's been a little down in the mouth lately. <laughs> just can't seem to hit him. So the number of the week doesn't necessarily have to be about money. It could be any number and in our Super Bowl theme we're gonna go back way back to the first Super Bowl ever played. oh my gosh January 15th 1967 What I want to know is, And I'll say the Green Bay Packers played the Kansas City Chiefs. What was the score?
6: Oh, I feel like Lynchy has this in the bag.
2: No, I don't know.
5: I can see Max McGee. I can see Max McGee. I I remember exactly where I was watching it. There was one family in our neighborhood that had a color T V, the Moran family, and there were about fifty of us piled in there. It was like thirty five to fourteen. Green
2: Bay.
6: I wasn't around. I didn't even know who was in the Super Bowl one, or it wasn't called Super Bowl one at the time, right? It wasn't even that. It was yeah. just
2: the world championship. The here. world championship.
6: <laughs> um, I'm going to say 21 to 28.
2: So now you gave me the score. Now, obviously, you're saying which team won.
6: Oh, uh, let's go with the Chiefs.
2: Okay. Green uh, Bay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, Lynch you really won this right. one, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> Nowhere close. It was uh, Green Bay Packers 35, the Kansas City Chiefs 10.
6: What did you say, Lynch? Was, was that your final you score? You said 35
2: 14. I, oh. 14, yeah. Okay.
5: I know it was a runaway. It was. I'm a big numbers guy, and this is the business of sports. So, Bart Starr wore number 15, and it was mm-hmm. played on January 15th. Yep. They won the next year, but the third year it was January twelfth, and Joe Namath, number twelve, won for the Jets. The next year, it was January sixteenth, and Len Dawson, quarterback of the Chiefs, wore number sixteen.
6: That's for the first three Super Bowls.
5: Well, the second Super Bowl, Bart Starr was uh, he won it. Green Bay won the second one as well, um, and I think that was played on like the fourteenth. But the three of the first four Super Bowls were All won right. by the quarterback that wore the number of the date that it was played
2: yeah that's true and and, and in Super Bowl four anyone
6: wearing 56 this coming Sunday
2: (laughs) (laughs) bring Lawrence Taylor out of retirement is that LT (laughs) oh my gosh uh I'll say this right quick before I wrap this up the best quip that I've heard in all those Super Bowl audios that you hear the coaches was Super Bowl four Hank Stram they won that one and he turns to his assistants, and he says, "They're flat as hell out here." <laughs> that was ba- I That's a good that, one. But that was great. Hey, he had
5: a priest. He had a priest from Boston, Father Mackey, always at his side. If you look at any of the film of Hank Stram on the sideline, you can see a priest, Father Mackey, with a little collar and a little Fedora was that? on. I did not know nev- that? Yeah. Wow. Father Mackey. Did
6: he talk to him with a clipboard in front of his mouth though?
2: <laughs> no, they, he didn't wear a headset. They had these beautiful couldn't. double-breasted suits back then. Oh, they wore yeah, double-breasted
6: yeah. suits on the sidelines. Oh, this it was oh, great, yeah. man! Yeah. It, oh, they yeah. should
2: they should bring that back, man. Between that, oh, I don't know. <laughs> when
6: when was the first instance of someone dumping Gatorade on the winning team's players? It
2: sure oh. they sure weren't wearing a suit. I could tell you that. that what was I, it about '90s in the '90s?
6: I want to say Super Bowl XXI because I remember watching that and I remember that happening because the Giants the were Giants, playing the I think, Broncos, I think, right? I think,
5: Right, I think that you're right. I think that uh, it was Lawrence Taylor dumped it on Bill Parcells. Yeah, Super Bowl 21 in
6: Pasadena, California.
5: Yeah, and I I remember. Do you you know that one of the prop bets for the Super Bowl this year is what color color will the Gatorade Ah. be that is being dumped? Will it be blue? Will it be red? Will it be orange? Will it be lemon
2: lime? I gotta, you can I actually gotta bet do on my that. research on this. Man. Have amazing. they varied up throughout the years right though? <laughs> yeah. This has been the Bloomberg business of sports. Ooh, I could get rich here. We're Catch dumping Gatorade
6: here. on Bar right now. <laughs>
2: this is Gatorade. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> Catch us here each and every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday, exploring the world of money and sports. I'm Michael Barr. You can catch me on Twitter at Big Bar Sports.
6: I'm Scarlet Foo. I'm on Twitter at Scarlet Fu.
2: And I'm Mike Lynch. I am going with orange Gatorade, and I'm <laughs> going with the theme of the Orange
5: Bengals will win the game. And you can follow me at LynchyWCVB. How's Ooh, that?
2: Ooh, you just <laughs> stepped on out there, didn't you? You're, you're listening to Bloomberg Business of
0: Sports on Bloomberg Radio around the world.